Welcome to episode 17 of the 18th Shadow Radio. This is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton. The 18th Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream, Chapter 2.6, The Gauntlet. Quote, The prestige of government has undoubtedly been lowered considerably by the Prohibition Law. For nothing is more destructive of respect for the government and the law of the land than passing laws which cannot be enforced. It is an open secret that the dangerous increase of crime in this country is closely connected with this. End quote. Albert Einstein. September 2081. One year, one month, before event. The Kansas Hoveway patrol drone was only the size of a football. Perhaps this emboldened the flock of fish crows who watched it hurl to a stop below their roost, flattening stands of switchgrass with its high-velocity arrival. To the fish crows, the drone looked like an invading, wingless bird flashing green mating feathers. This wingless bird had a horrific song that oscillated from a low hum to a roaring squeal. It also appeared to be a well-fed invader. If it couldn't be scared off, perhaps it would be dinner. The first attack was so violent that the drone was nearly knocked to the earth. The unit flash-scanned the sky. Within 0.4 seconds, it had completed a species and weapons analysis of the nine crows and chose to follow its primary objective, scanning traffic along the Interstate 70 Hoveway. The drone was in no true danger from crow beaks or claws, though their attacks did complicate efforts to maintain a stable anti-grav hover. The unit was a low-altitude, long-range A-1 scout with limited self-adaptive environmental algorithms, no weapons, a high-definition holocam, and a massive propulsion fan for its mass, which allowed it to tail the fastest of civilian hovcars. The A-1 scout's current placement near Junction City was randomly assigned by the Geodrone Mastercom in Topeka. The unit had decelerated from a 285-kilometer-an-hour cruise to a dead stop in four seconds, inline brake turbines whining decibels in front of a towering riverside oak that was unfortunately home to the nine crows in a nest of squawking adolescent chicks. Even if the drone had possessed weapons, it was against EPA regulations for law enforcement cods to harm or disrupt animal species within their native habitat, unless that species was actively obstructing the apprehension of a criminal. So the birds continued to descend on the A-1 scout without mercy, pecking and scraping furiously at its black Kevlar skin. Tail feathers and clumps of down floated around the drone as it attempted to maintain stability. Grasshoppers chirped mechanically all around, and bits of dusty tall grass floated visibly in the air from the flailing of the bird's wings. The A-1 scout remained dutiful, even as one after the other the crows slammed the unit with their talons, screeching like jackals. A couple of crows defecated on the drone. The unit's stabilization fans whirred desperately as the onboard computer methodically ticked through the three-minute hold pattern until migration to another locale was authorized. Twenty-seven corrupted scan reports had already been relayed to the Geodrone server. These corrupted pings were scans of suspicious hovcars and hovtrucks floating west on Interstate 70, which could not be completed due to the ongoing bird assault. It was with one minute and 13 seconds left on the departure clock between fish crow attacks that the drone successfully wonked the ID of a 2070 Ford Cargo Hub 800 floating at a rate of 185 kilometers per hour. Registration, Douglas County DMV, IPv7 address 20810, commercial transport, Abner Family Pumpkin and Gourd LLC. Liability probability, 71%. 8,000-liter potential contained fluid rating, human transport operator, query, private travel threads, negative 365-day period, state registration, current, commercial insurance policy, current, active, citizen operator, Gabriel Martinez, NAUS. The drone queried, assign random stop based on vehicular dimension. The unit waited for the command to be processed by Geodrone Central. 51 seconds until relocation, 49 corrupted scans, biological interference, 47 seconds until relocate, pursuit command verified, relaying telemetry, patrol unit, Apollo 9, engage. 
The attacking fish crows fled in nine different directions, black feathers whisking to the ground, horrified by the sudden violent whine of the tiny A-1 scout's primary worm drive spooling to 41,000 RPMs. The black football's LED array flashed red as it exploded down the hubway in pursuit of the cargo hub 800, happily leaving the crows in a tidal wave of dust. It took 69 seconds for the A-1 scout to establish a visual. It trailed the lumbering hub truck at an altitude of 20 meters, moving too quickly to be but a grayish blur to the human eye. It was in flight that the A-1 scout shined, not when forced to hover in place before a nest of aggressive, winged biologicals. Twenty-two more seconds. The geodrone server in Topeka issued a stop warrant based upon unknown object, probability marijuana cigarette, illegal disposal, floating under the influence probability 94.2%. The A-1 scout locked on the object the pilot tossed from the vehicle and tracked its trajectory, zipping to a halt four centimeters above the still-burning roach. Analysis. Recreational-grade sativa. Trooper apprehension requested. Apollo 9. Ping confirmed. Causal. Floating under the influence. Recommend visual cargo analysis. Report terminated. New coordinates registered. Its function complete. The A-1 scout buzzed purposefully upwards from the interstate surface, LED array shifting green. The Kevlar-enveloped drone then rocketed west towards the sun, constantly scanning as it traveled to new observation coordinates 14 kilometers west of the Hayes metropolis. If citizen observation drones were capable of hope, this particular unit was praying hard that its next assigned location might be free of fish crows. It was love, that elusive, fence-hopping vixen, not sex, that had always been Virgil Benedict's most intangible prey. Unlike most young men, he wished not to be a ladies' man, rather, the man of one lady. He pined for devotion, that singular Betty of unparalleled beauty, who would live only for him. Love, actually, was all about Virgil. Now, at long last, sitting beside him in the passenger cab of this bootlegger's transport, he had met his ultimate muse, his very lily of the field, an angel of pulchritude known by the name Virginia Rose. Hugo sat to Virgil's left, steering the heavy hub truck as it flew lazily down the interstate. Virginia was on his right. Sitting together on the bench seat, he noted how her left leg kept making contact with his own. Thank you, improperly aligned kinetic dampeners. The prurient odor of Hugo's Jane smoke wafting seductively through the cab added to the dusky romance of this chance meeting. Normally, Virgil would have been happy to oblige when Hugo offered him a hit off an antique joint, but then he wouldn't be able to talk. Maybe I should pop another plesium. The hub trucks on board kept the cab at a perfect 22 degrees, but Virgil was so excited that even his teeth seemed to be sweating. He was high on Virginia's velvety green eyes, her aroma wafted, mingling like a shadow dancer with the burning Jane. Now, at last, she turned to look at him, expressionless, lost in thought. She was going to speak. Virgil clutched his book, entitled 20th Century California Poetry, even tighter, feeling his soul well in anticipation, preparing for her words to wash over him like golden tides on a secluded beach. Here it comes. Virginia Rose set her sketch down, curled her button nose, and said, Virgil, if you try and read me one more poem, I'm going to rip the page out of that fucking book and wipe my ass with it. She fell back in her seat and returned to sketching a nude on her holotab, absentmindedly petting the black fur on Lofen's head as she did so. The small Rottweiler twin lay curled on the hub truck floor with her boxy head resting on the seat's edge. The cyborg's vidorbs remained closed as though she were a regular dog asleep, though every eight seconds her armored eye shutters opened and closed imperceptibly fast. Virgil bore the expression of a deflated basketball that had just been smacked with a shovel. He wore the ubiquitous Birkenham sandals that were so popular with young men of the day, paired with black ankle-biter hemp jeans and a white button-down shirt, the collar of which he fiddled with chronically. He wished he had brought his sunglasses to hide behind. No matter. The situation was desperate. I'll say anything. What about some Bukowski? He asked nonchalantly. Tara sighed and turned her head slowly his way as if following the flight of a distant bird. What's a Bukowski? Charles Bukowski, 
said Virgil with renewed eagerness. He's the classic, antique L.A. poet of the 20th century. Never heard of him. What about Pablo Neruda? Sounds like a venereal disease, Virgil again deflated. No, Neruda's another 20th century poet from Chile in the Southern Union. Tara was sitting cross-legged in the seat, wearing a yellow hemplin sundress. She took her sunglasses off and balanced them on a knee. Every time she turned her head to look at Virgil, he thought he might faint. Want a piece of advice, teen spirit? Sure, but I'm 20. Just FYI. Tara shook her head dramatically. Oh, you're 20. That changes everything. Well, here's an FYI for you. I don't give a shit if you're 13 or 85. No one cares about fucking poetry. At least no one in this hove truck. Right, Hugo? Hugo didn't even look their way, taking a drag off a newly fired joint. Pawn school, spoken word, raps, whatever. But dude, not many folk dig that shit no more. Me's Virginia, right? Tara looked back at Virgil. Thank you, Hugo. Point two, Casanova. No one's read a book in like 50 years. I don't know about your holotab, but mine reads for me. Welcome to 2035. All those antique books you carry, all that wasted paper? Tara shook her shoulders. Makes me cringe. What the sky are you doing with a bag full of books on this run, anyhow? I take my books everywhere. Why? Because you never know when you're going to need a poem. The whole universe can be explained in poetry. Poets live on, even after death, through their words. Taradine made a gagging sound. Virgil frowned. You okay? Tara put her hand daintily to her lips. Yeah, sorry, I just puked in my mouth. Virgil saddened. He gazed despondently out the windshield at the white hoveway lines rushing past. The truck's cabin was silent. The Tara now wore a faint, sly smile. Faster-moving hove cars and small hove trucks blew by them on the left, riding quiet whooshes of air. The black dots of drones and UAV courier units streaked past in the higher, faster airspace lanes like gray, traceable dots. It was nearing dusk. The undulating hills of the Conza Prairie were now yellow with the late summer's drought, despite the efforts of a cloud-seeding blimp doing its best to neutralize carbon in the atmosphere. The dirigible floated thousands of meters above them, more similar to a lost whale than a technological marvel. Virgil might as well have been staring at an old sock. As the sun fell lower, the hub truck's windshield became more polarized to compensate. Thick, yellow light poured pleasantly across the honey-toned landscape. Contrary to her usual indifference, perhaps inspired by this vista of austere Midwest beauty that so few appreciated, Tara Dean found herself feeling sorry for Virgil Benedict. Well, don't pocket laser your wrists or anything, Romeo, she said, calling his eyes. I won't, said Virgil. I just thought you'd like it. Not everybody likes everything. I bet your girlfriend likes poetry, though, doesn't she, Adrian Moon? Virgil ginned up. Yes, Addie loves poetry, he shook his head. Or at least she used to, until her second hospital stay. Tara snapped her fingers. I like the name, Adrian. It's vintage. Look, that B-Mod shit'll take the shine off a girl's battery like nobody's business. Yeah, he looked at Virginia inquisitively. You ever been? Nope. It's rough, said Virgil. We were going to get married and everything, but this time, when she came home, it was like someone turned out the light in her eyes. I'd literally kill myself to make her happy again. Her dad says they can't afford a wedding. They get one bill paid, another comes from the IRS. Addie didn't know she was signing up for IRS assistance at intake. She's been kicked out of school and is waiting tables again. Hugo tapped on the silver condot affixed to his jaw, focusing on some unheard communication as a Kansas State Hubway Patrol hubcar rocketed past in the left lane, flashing LEDs casting multicolored swabs over the black interstate. From behind, in the waning light, the big propulsion fans on the patrolman's Dodge Charger glowed a faint green from the ambient heat of their electric turbines. Hugo said, Roger that, boss! And again tapped his condot. He then reached out and patted Virgil on the back with an affable smile. That sheet with your betty's a bummer, man. Ain't you little young to be getting married, Evanuelo? I am, admitted Virgil. His eyes brightened. But it's what I want, for us. I want a house with an extra bedroom that I can write in, and a room for Adrian and the baby, and a dog that's not quite so 
gigantic and mean-looking as these of Mr. Abner's. He paused, petting Lofen's head. That's all I want in life. Oh, and to stick it to Cened. That a spirit, said Hugo, tossing a smoked roach out the window. He extracted a freshly rolled spliff from the tin smoke box on his shirt pocket. Here you go, let's smoke this. Just being here, you gonna help us stick it to Cened. You know me? Hugo handed the fresh, unlit joint to Virgil. I'm really not even sure what I'm doing, or how I'm helping, said Virgil, staring at the joint. How do you know which end to light? A vapor joint is so much easier. Tara snatched the joint from his hand. You talk like a girl. Yes, a vapor joint is easier. She produced an antique flame lighter and ignited one end of the spliff, puffing it until the cherry glowed a steady orange. But it would also take away from the texture, sensation, an overall mystique of smoking ganja, and you can light whichever end you want, Hawking, she said, taking a long drag. She handed it back to him as she blew the smoke out her nostrils. Virgil took a hit and passed the joint back to Hugo, who didn't smoke it, but rather held it burning between his fingers above the steering wheel. The detailed tattoo work on Hugo's forearms was highlighted in bright greens, reds, blacks, and blues by the low angle of the windshield sun. Pretty mama right, man. I smoke the jank because I eat better, longer, high than with the vapor. Plus, he chuckled amicably. There's nothing can replace the taste of smoke, but however you do it is right. Some people drink beer, some vodka. There's no right, no wrong. Long as you drink, you helping, little Virgil dude. How am I helping? Tara sat up in her seat and again dropped her holotab and sketching stylus in the door pocket. She ignored Lofen's whine of protest as she stretched her lithe, olive legs over the Rottweiler. Last week, you slid us some solid news. Help flesh out a rat. Once a rat's cover is blown, they're done. How does that help? I mean, your real jobs are at a pumpkin farm, after all. I get so confused sometimes. Tara put a finger to her lips. You? Us? We help the greater cause. That's what Mr. Abner is doing. We smuggle a few cases of vodka out to Salina under the cover of our real business, which is selling spice pepitas. Pepitas? Pumpkin seeds, said Hugo and Tara at the same time, laughing. Pumpkin seeds? That's what we're supposed to be carrying? Yep, we are carrying pumpkin seeds too. Maybe a few liters of vodka. Tara's breast pressed against Virgil as she leaned across and took the joint from Hugo. Sorry, Ace. Virgil looked like he might choke on his own daydream. No problem, he bumbled. So, uh, you guys really use the names of those Cened narcs I ping? Yes, Virgil. Just keep telling Joan when you hear stuff around campus, said Tara. What does an AI do with the names? Tara's eyes got unrealistically big. She feeds them to the resistance! Virgil frowned. There's a resistance? Hugo couldn't help smiling out the corner of his mustache, but he kept quiet and returned his gaze to the road as she leaned over Virgil and handed the joint back. Yes, said Tara emphatically. Anyone who drinks is in the resistance, whether they know it or not. So there isn't an organized resistance? Tara screwed up her face with whimsy. Well, there are people who operate hidden stills around the North American United States. They have networks that talk to each other. Yes. That's who Joan talks to? No, Joan's like a liaison. She's the girl who knows the guy who knows the chick. Huh? Tara spun her hands in front of her. Check it out, Galileo. We know Joan. Joan knows Mr. Abner. Mr. Abner knows the chick who runs the still. It's the chick who runs the still who pays Mr. Abner. Then Mr. Abner pays us. Then we float the booze to Manhattan in this here seed truck. She smacked the Ford's dashboard. Virgil looked at the GPS display as they blew past Junction City. So, you guys just wanted me to float along to make things look normal. Tara rolled her eyes. Yep, we brought a poet with that backpack full of antique paper books along so we wouldn't attract attention. Really? No, dumb. Tara rolled her eyes back to him. The boss wanted to see how you'd do in a talk. A talk with who? Is this a test right now? Guero, you ask more questions than a monkey vaporizing the pseudo-myth, said Hugo, cracking his window and tossing out another roach. The rushing noise of the hub truck's prop fans and wind was deafeningly loud. Hugo pushed the window back up and looked squarely at the boy. These the gauntlet, boy. We just want to see if you can talk to the cops or not. Cops? What cops? Those cops, said Tara quietly, gazing at the mirror outside her window. 
Virgil frowned, tapped the dashboard display, and swiped to the rearview cam. A kilometer behind, in their lane closing fast, was another Kansas Hoveway patrol cruiser, emergency LEDs flashing. Virgil's blood turned to ice. You knew about this? He said, looking at Hugo accusingly. You were just smoking a joint. We're going to get an FUI. What if they find the liquor transporting alcohol is a felony? That's straight to the slaughterhouse. Oh, man, man. The 25-centimeter computer display in the dashboard suddenly flashed red. A bronze-colored Kansas Hoveway Patrol icon filled the screen. The cabin music muted and was replaced by a computerized female voice. Ford 800 Flatbed Transport, Kansas DMV, registration IPV7, address 2071-08. You are requested to authorize... ComSync in compliance with KHP Stop and Resist Request, Unit KHP-Apollo 9. Hugo sat up lazily in his seat and tapped a button on the truck's steering wheel. A different, more relaxed-sounding female voice spoke. Ford Com 800, switch to oral command. See? Oral command active. Do you wish to comply with the Kansas Hoveway Patrol Unit Apollo 9 request for navigational override? You have 14 seconds to respond. Yes, said Hugo again breezily. Hovlev gradient to maximum auto traction engaged, replied the dash com. Virgil's eyes grew wide. Are you serious? You're high. I'm high. We have dog knows how many liters of drugs in the truck. Tara put her hand on Virgil's leg and looked at him over the tops of her sunglasses. Oh, for the love of sky, will you simmer down? Virgil was suddenly able to breathe again, his head filled with that familiar warm honey. Time stretched slowly from second to second. I have met Aphrodite. Everything will be all right. But... He began to say, Shh. Tara placed a finger over his lips. He was so very utopian, so very sweet and idealistic. For a brief second, she considered eating him for an afternoon snack. Dax has some purpose with this one. She knew almost every permutation of thought that flowed through the mysterious conduits of her lover's mind. She saw the visions and objectives that were shrouded to all others. It was true. They needed a campus spy. Helpful. But why this tard? Because of Mother's prophecy? I fell for a mama's boy. Virgil was popular with the professors. The professors liked to drink. They worked in the English department, after all, which was like being employed at an antique library located next to a funeral parlor that embalmed dead horses. Near as Tara could tell. She'd be drinking heavily also. But popularity was not enough. Dax obviously had no intention of bringing him into the fold. So, we're back to your mother's prophecies, my love. To ask the motive behind an action was simply not their way. They were courtesan. The information flowed of its own accord. Regardless, they would never again bring Virgil on the gauntlet. Because the gauntlet's secret is, you always get pulled over. Virgil felt himself compelled to turn to Hugo in that moment. What's the gauntlet? Hugo had removed his hands from the steering wheel. He did not appear surprised in the least when the hub truck began piloting itself in a slow and deliberately nerve-wracking fashion. The Kansas Highway Patrol trooper was less than a half kilometer off their bumper. He would auto-glide them to the next off-ramp, which was 4.7 kilometers down the interstate, according to NAVCOM. Hugo looked at Virgil with compassion. You is floating on it, Ovenzuela. The gauntlet be this stretch of hubway I-70 between Topeka and Celina. On further out west if you're running supply to Hayes or Denver. We only float so far as Celina, though. The gauntlet is where drug mules go to die, added Tara chipperly, gazing out the window. The sirens of the patrol hubcar could now be heard over the slowing whine of the Ford's prop fans. The flashing LEDs of the officer's vehicle reflected in the side mirrors, splashing swatches of primary color over their hub truck's dashboard. Despite the logical desire to panic, Virgil's head reeled with a sense of contentment that emanated from the spot on his thigh where Virginia Rose kept her hand. Then why do I feel so calm? Do we not have liquor on board after all? That's right, said Tara. We aren't doing anything wrong. Knowing that is half a mule's battle. You a mule now, Guero? You so calm, cause a little criminal done built a nest inside your soul, got me? The mules live with the fear. At first, the mule float through the life, looking constantly in the rear view. Then, if you survive long enough, you come to find the cops don't know nothing. 
Hugo nodded towards Lofen, who had not moved her head from the seat's edge. Cops be dumber than the sheet that fall from the dog's ass. They only do what their comms tell them, and... He looked at Tara with a little sideways grin. We got the computers covered. The only scanners out there we can't hack are the eyes of the human. That's where Virginia come in. You too, homie. You gonna talk to this trooper now. Get his curios off our funky business, eh? You want me to talk to the cop? Asked Virgil, somewhere between panic and elation. No time to explain, said Virginia with a comfortable smile. We're sitting on tarmac in about two minutes, Ahab. Virgil nodded his forehead bravely. I'm just going to tell this pig to leave us the hell alone. I'm going to say we're within our rights, just traveling, and he has no cause to search us. He giggled nervously, his knee beginning to shake. A tear ran down his face. This is for my girl, Adrian. All the shit the man did to her. He punched the roof of the hub truck. Pop. Then I'm going to punch him in the face. Like that. Listen to me, Virgil, said Tara. There's nothing to listen to. Tears were pouring down both cheeks now. This is it. We're going to the slaughterhouse. We'll be martyrs. They'll write songs about me and Adrian. Tara took her hand off Virgil's leg and slapped him. Then she slapped him again, harder. Ouch! Jesus! Tara again put her hands on Virgil's blustery cheeks and forced his eyes into hers. Sixty-four seconds until full stop, said the navcom. Tara waited ten seconds to speak until she had the boy's emotions fully under control. Virgil... I'm going to make one thing damn clear. There are no martyrs in this business. Virgil sniffed, consumed by the black of her pupils. It's a violation of my civil rights. Tara shook her head, satisfied with the pliability of his mind. She removed her hands from his face and again rested her left on his leg. You're a drug mule, Virgil. Most citizens would as soon us rot in a vision work camp as look at us. Civil rights? You're not Malala Yousafzai, dude. Thirteen seconds until full stop, said the calm. Virgil was breathing rapidly, but no longer cried. Okay, okay, I get it. Virginia? Yep. Thank you. Whatever. Quit being a bitch. You're embarrassing my ovaries. The Ford 800 at last floated to a rest halfway up a rural exit ramp. They were 11 kilometers east of the Salina Metroplex. The parking mounts deployed and dropped to the asphalt shoulder, auto levelers vibrating. Lofen sat up and crawled between Tara and Virgil and disappeared over the seat into the narrow cargo space behind them. This dog kind of has a mind of its own, huh? You could say that, said Tara vacantly, her attention focused on the side mirror. The Kansas Highway Patrol trooper had not yet stepped out. Don't worry about that dog, said Hugo. Here we go. The hub truck's computer spoke in default monotone. You have been selected for an operational review by the Kansas Hubway Patrol. Pilot navigation systems are temporarily locked out for your safety. Please set ComBud and Holotab security protocols to open access and release all encrypted passenger data, including operator IPv7 and social security code. You have 30 seconds to comply. Hugo tapped his ComDot. Access granted. He looked over at Tara. It's a man. I ain't seen him before. It's hope he's not queer. I don't think it really matters anymore if they like me or not. Virgil felt his heart rate begin to accelerate. What are you guys talking about? Tara squeezed his thigh slightly harder. He melted back to silence. Deal. Ain't gonna be quite so easy, sis. Said Hugo. Why? This one's got those riot class Borgs in the squad car, plus a live German sheepherd. Tara smiled brightly. Fuck it. Things are going to be fine, boys. There's nothing we can't make vanish. Virgil started to stammer, but Tara silenced him. Hugo touched the silver calm dot affixed to his jaw, listening. Shh, Johnny's saying things. What else? Asked Tara. Hugo whistled low. This hombre is military. Colonel Apollo in the National Guard at Fort Riley duties. Borg Army Ranger, hardcore, man. They call him Butcher of Chabar from the war days. Tara's eyes narrowed. Be all the more my pleasure to ruin his dog-damn day. Joan fully plugged in? Yep, sink to Lofen. She got a fat, clear stream. Hugo breathed calmly as he watched the trooper step out of his hub car. The man was in his late fifties, bald and of African descent. He stood nearly two meters tall and had the square-jawed frame of a bodybuilder, his black boots shined and his sunglasses twinkled with official clarity in the dying afternoon light. The beige pants of his uniform were crisp and pressed. 
Up each leg ran a brown stripe that matched the darker tone of his polyhem shirt and round, broad-rimmed trooper's hat. The man strolled deliberately, briskly processing incoming data on his holotab when Hugo saw him stop abruptly. The trooper's hand moved to his sidearm. Oh, shit, Miss Galeros. What's up? asked Tara. Hugo held a hand up to quiet her. He continued watching the officer in the side mirror. After a few seconds, the trooper frowned, shook his head, and removed his hand from his gun. He tapped the glass surface of his holotab aggressively. He walked all the way to them now and stood just behind Hugo's window, leaning in. Mr. Gabriel Martinez? The trooper's voice was deep and commanding. The timbre of it made Virgil realize he needed to urinate. Hugo was sitting up straight with a smile stretched across his face. Si, senor, as me, se habla? No, I don't. Abla, son. The trooper looked over the top of his mirrored sunglasses. Let's see here. Abner Family Pumpkin and Gold LLC says your KIC7 registered transport out of Douglas County count pumpkin seeds. Registration good. License clear. Insurance verified. Do you know why I pulled you over, Mr. Martinez? The trooper wrapped the back of his holotab against the Ford's window at the precise moment he got done saying, Mr. Martinez. What, no, officer? Was I speeding? No, Mr. Martinez. I see you have no combat installed. You like to float the hub truck and manual? Yes, sir. Old school. Well, the problem with old school is that sometimes pilots drift. And about 12 kilometers back, you drifted over the center line. I just wanted to stop you and confirm that you're not impaired. Haven't been vaping Jane while operating a commercial hovercraft today, have you? Absolutely not, officer. The trooper looked at the full-sleeve tattoos covering Hugo's forearms. He studied his face, as if able to see right through Hugo's sunglasses. He leaned left and looked in at Virgil, who couldn't even look up. Tara kept a blank expression on her face and stared out the opposite window, hiding behind her long, black hair. He turned back to Hugo. Well, your comdite reports a clean bloodstream. But since you haven't been using marijuana today, I'm sure you won't mind if I double-check, run a quick manual chem battery. Hugo smiled amicably. Not at all, officer. Blood or hair? Blood. Okay, I'll need a finger, print side up. Hugo extended his upturned index finger through the window. The trooper placed his holotab directly over it. A razor-thin, robotic lance pricked the skin and performed a chemical analysis in less than one second. The trooper stared at his holotab without speaking. He was waiting for something else, even though the results were already in front of him. Says here you haven't had so much as a vapor in 23 days. Impressive. You and Marijuana Anonymous or something? The trooper now smiled as if the joke was funny, though his smile was provocative and fake. From across the cabin, Tara was able to smell the rage rising. Not Hundroid, but a vision man through and through. Hugo kept pace, never looking away. No, officer, I just trabajo mucho. A citizen got a vaporize a lot of Jane to get into 12-step program. That they would, that they would. The trooper again clicked the case of his holotab against the window and made a last scan of the Ford's cabin. Well, I appreciate your time, Mr. Martinez. I take it you're Mr. Virgil Benedict and, uh... He looked over the top of his sunglasses again. Miss Virginia Rose? Virgil couldn't believe they were actually going to get away. He grinned abusively. That's me, your honor. We got nothing to hide. The trooper's fake smile disappeared. Nice, Virgil thought Tara. She leaned forward and removed her sunglasses, pinching Virgil's thighs, she said in a believable southern accent. Bingo, officer. I'm Miss Virginia Rose. She leaned back and covered her eyes again. You all work for this pumpkin establishment? Yes, said Hugo. These guys are my assistants. The state trooper nodded curtly. All right. Everything seems in order. I apologize for the inconvenience. You folks float carefully now. Have a blessed day. Tara rolled her eyes beneath the safety of her blacked-out sunglasses. Hugo watched the mirror as the trooper walked backwards towards his patrol hovecar. He knew how this went. He counted ocho, nueve, diez, once steps before the trooper turned back. 
11 steps fast. Now he come around. These time for real, kids. Tara moved her hand up Virgil's thigh and held it in a new spot. Pretending it was by random chance, the trooper reappeared at the window and said, Sorry to bother you good folks again, but you wouldn't mind if I run my dogs around your hub truck and have a look under your canopy, would you? Hugo tossed his hands up. Of course not, officer. Very good, said the patrolman. I have to search so many transport trucks each month, you see. Since you guys are so squeaky clean, it'll go fast and help me fill my quota. Happy to do our part, officer. I appreciate that. You're helping the people of Kansas fight the war on drugs. Tara leaned forward. But we don't have any drugs, officer. Of course you don't. You've got pumpkin seeds, which is why this will only take a second. I'm gonna need the three of you to step out of the hub truck. Finally, let's get this over with, said Tara under her breath as she popped open the passenger door and stepped down, leaning against the side of the Ford. Virgil and Hugo followed. Do we just stand here? Asked Virgil shakily as the patrolman walked around to greet them. All right, folks. For your own safety, stay here and don't move while I get my helpers. Your helpers? Asked Virgil. My dogs. What about our dog? Yours aren't mean, are they? Tara shook her head. Oh, boy. Hugo's keen eyes watched the patrolman harden. You have a dog on board your vehicle? Tara whistled quick and low. A moment later, Lofen bounded out of the truck and sniffed the ground timidly before trotting over and sitting beside her. Lofen looked directly at the patrolman. Her bright pink tongue fell lazily out of her mouth as she panted. The wind intermittently blew the tufts of long, white fur on her chest to and fro. "'You need to put that animal on a leash,' said the patrolman after a few seconds. "'I don't want it getting into it with mine.' "'She's a she,' said Tara, not looking over. "'What?' Tara turned and stared at the trooper. "'It is a she, sir,' she raised her eyebrows when he didn't respond. "'The dog?' The patrolman put his hand to his hips and unbuttoned the holster on his mace canister. The safety strap on his pistol was still unclasped. He took a step closer to Tara. Whatever it is, you need to put a leash on it, young lady. I'm a canine trainer. It's the law. The officer squinted, eyeing Lofen a moment longer, then produced a holotab and scanned her. She's big for a female. Looks good for a seven-year-old, too. All right, he said. Get that leash. No problem, I get it, said Hugo agreeably. Virgil knelt and pet Lofen's head. This is a good dog, officer. I don't think she'd hurt a fly. Hugo returned with the leash and snapped it onto Lofen's collar. Rottweilers aren't known for their goodness, young man. Kind of pussy dogs, really. You need to do a better job of training this animal. She's trying to stare me down. Dog like that starts thinking it's the alpha, you got a problem on your hands. Besides, it's not my dogs I'm worried about. The officer turned and stepped briskly away, tapping his holotab. Tara and Hugo exchanged a quick glance that Virgil missed. Lofen's eyes scanned every step the patrolman took towards his vehicle. The back door of the patrol hubcar opened with a near-silent pneumatic rush. A German shepherd bounded out, followed by two Doberman pinchers. The first animal was flesh and blood, an enormous, alert female to which the patrolman attached a thick leather leash. The Dobermans were riot-class batborgs. Both of the police cyborgs were wrapped in male physiology bioskin. They ambulated almost perfectly, though their steps were slightly systematic and rapid. Lofen sat perfectly still. She analyzed the animals from a distance, uploading data to Hugo's comm dot, where only he could hear Joan's quiet, computerized voice saying, Subject A, organic. 100%. Subjects B and C. Version 3.0 riot class CATS units. Manufacture date March 18, 2080. Civilian law enforcement grade. CVS 5. Power supplies 92-97%. Bioskin Phase 2 Kevlar 3 wrap on an airmet reinforced polymer chassis. As soon as the female German shepherd saw Lofen, she strained against her leash, growling aggressively. The Hoveway patrolman let himself be dragged a bit for effect, though the thick, banded muscles in his forearm could have easily controlled the dog. Whoa, Hela! Easy, girl! What you smell? The cybernetic Dobermans walked behind him obediently, then sat precisely in line with his left knee as the officer stopped two meters from the back of the hub truck. 
The animals froze, robot-like, scanning. They did not appear to take notice of Lofen or consider her a threat. A few seconds of silence passed. The late summer sun was nearly to the horizon. The deep yellow light threw long shadows, human and canine, across the pavement. The expansive blue tarpaulin that covered the 5,000 liters of crated still vodka rippled beneath its black bungee cords every time a hub car, or especially a hub semi, floated past on the interstate below. With the passing of each hub car, Tara envisioned the sallow, citizen faces plastered against the windows, staring stupidly at the scene. The flashing LEDs atop the patrolman's Dodge Charger drew their eyes like a moth to a flame. Tara's irritation rose. Their blue cargo tarp stuck out like a sore thrum. She could hear the thoughts of the vision faithful running through her head. Ooh, looks like a booze bust. Honey, slow down. Ooh, the cop has drug fidos. Dad, those shiners are screwed. Tara gritted her teeth. The wind blew her sundress against her tawny, muscled legs. She let her eyes rise from the small patch of asphalt between her Converse sneakers to find the German shepherd staring at her. The dog was beautiful. Something in its demeanor reminded her of the coyotes. Despite its fierce show, she could sense it was really a kind animal. When the patrolman snapped his fingers, the German shepherd sat obediently, still growling quietly at Lofen, who was focused on the Dobermans. With the dogs now out, the patrolman's tone changed. It was suddenly dictatorial, as though a podium had appeared in front of him out of thin air. All right, citizens, here's how it goes. This German shepherd is an organic named Hala, here for observation. These animals behind me are police fidos. Awesome, said Virgil with excitement. You can't even tell, can you? Tara snapped from her reverie and leered with brief disgust in Virgil's direction, but did not respond. The patrolman continued. Fido One is going to run a quick pass your hub truck conducting a non-invasive scan of your cab. I need you to step away from the side of the vehicle, please. Do I have your permission to proceed? Tara couldn't help herself. Like you give a damn if you have our permission or not, Officer Friendly. The patrolman was quick. It's Trooper Apollo. Uh, no, I don't give a damn. But protocol's protocol, Miss Rose... He said miss like he was pronouncing hiss. It's fucking on, pig, smiled Tara in return. Whatever you say, General. Hugo tapped his comm dot, listening as he simultaneously replied. No problem, officer. You search where you need. Thank you. They all three stepped away from the side of the big flatbed Ford. Lofen remained motionless, aside from minor foot adjustments, a twitching ear, a wagging tail. She emitted a high, passive whine, loud enough to be audible to the patrolman and his dogs. Her eyes scanned perpetually. Your consent is noted, said the patrolman. He turned his head towards the riot dog closest and said, All right, run it. The Doberman trotted quickly past them, cocking its head at Lofen with curiosity, and jumped into the cab of the Ford. All around, the wind rippled with the swoosh of passing hove traffic. Hordes of late summer grasshoppers chitted throatily in the high grass of the Hoveway embankment. A few industrious black starlings flitted about in a nearby hemp field, hunting early evening mosquitoes. The patrolman swiped his holotab as he waited. Lofen surprised everyone by suddenly standing. She widened her stance and focused on Hala again. The German shepherd had begun growling. Tara whispered a word to the wind. William... You better keep that dog of yours under control, said the patrolman loudly. Or it's gonna get hurt, pretty lady. Tara cocked her hips out and looked at the man over the tops of her sunglasses for the first time. Maybe it's your dogs that should watch out, sir. The patrolman shook his head dizzily. He frowned. The emergency LEDs on his hovecar went momentarily dark behind him, then rebooted. He tapped his combat in frustration, but never took his focus off the scene before him. Fifteen long seconds passed. The riot Doberman finally jumped out of the hub truck's cabin and trotted back to a seated position beside the other Batborg. The patrolman tapped and dragged data around on his holotab. He frowned as he skimmed the results, the whiskers of his wiry black mustache tweaking in the breeze. He was taking longer than necessary. The silence stretched. At last he looked up, speaking to Hugo and no longer disguising the disdain in his voice. 
Mr. Martinez, all my Borg sensor reports are squeaky clean. Says you got 5,000 kilograms of pumpkin seeds under this top. Yep. No one spoke. The wind blew. Grasshoppers chitted. The patrolman let his fingers drop to the German shepherd's head. Everyone's eyes followed his hand to the dog, whose jowls quivered as it stared hungrily at Lofen. Stand, Hala, commanded the patrolman. The big German shepherd sprang to all fours and adopted a braced fighting posture. The dog was easily twelve centimeters taller than the small, stocky Rottweiler. You see, the thing is, Mr. Martinez, in my line of work, sometimes you just can't believe what the senses tell you, continued the trooper. And... Out of nowhere, Virgil stepped forward and swung his arms open like he was going to hug his favorite aunt. Your Honor, there's obviously no problem here, he said with shaky bravado. You've done your sweep. I really feel you're getting close to violating our rights. So maybe it would be a good idea if you and your dogs just went on your way and left us alone. Or do I need to ping your superior at the Kansas Hubway Patrol and tell her how you're behaving? Hugo whistled through his teeth. Oy A wicked smile curled around the edge of Tara's lips. She gave the officer a wink. The leashed German shepherd growled fiercely as Virgil stepped closer, saying, So, if there's anything else... In a flash, the patrolman's pistol was out and leveled with a muscular arm, barrel 20 centimeters from Virgil's nose. The weapon was a 12-chamber Smith & Wesson 357, loaded with six armor-piercing botulinum darts and six black powder hollow-point gut shredders. Anyone watching her feet would have seen the titanolume claws protract from Lufen's back paws and dig into the asphalt. Otherwise, she remained still, aside from the bobbing of her furry black tail. The riot Dobermans stood in mechanical unison and braced. They gnashed their teeth, which made a sound like scissors being sharpened. The animal's blue cyborg eyes scanned the humans intently. Here's the thing, said the patrolman, his voice as smooth as wet stone. See how your leg's shaking some? Smell how the wind ain't quite blowing the way it should? Virgil's lower lip vibrated like a tuning fork. I... Here's what's gonna happen, Virgil Benedict. The patrolman gestured towards the truck with his sidearm. You're gonna go over and lift up that top for me. We'll see what we got. What's your bet, cracker? Bags of pumpkin seed or bottles of booze? A dark stain began spreading from the crotch of Virgil's jeans. His mouth hung open pitifully. He turned and looked at Hugo and Tara. Tara just rolled her eyes and twisted her hair innocently. Hugo tapped his calm dot and calmly listened, then said, Got you, boss. This should be a fun show. Cut her loose. The dog collar on Lofen's neck automatically unbuckled, dropping free to the ground. She charged. The patrolman instantly adjusted his aim and discharged two hollow-point slugs. Boom, boom into Lofen's chest, catching her in mid-air and knocking her violently backwards. Tar and Hugo instinctively dropped to a crouch. The trooper quick-released the German shepherd's leash and backhanded Virgil with the butt of his revolver, knocking the boy to the ground in an unconscious rumple of piss. Tara winced as Virgil's skull struck the pavement with a muffled dunk. Lofen was still on her back when the German shepherd closed her jaws around the Rottweiler's foreleg. A flash of confusion filled the animal's eyes. Its teeth sliced through bioskin only to meet titanolum bone. Tara cringed. The dog cried, a horrible, gagging choke as Lofen flicked her foreleg and shattered the animal's jaw. The patrolman took a step back in surprise, but kept his gun steady. He squinted as Lofen's eyes changed to their natural hell-red color. Her hyperflex jaws snapped like a jagged guillotine, severing the German shepherd's head from its body in a single motion. Blood spurted wildly from the animal's exposed arteries, drenching Lofen's muzzle and splattering to the asphalt as she tossed the dog's head aside and flashed to her paws, bracing for the supernatural impact of the Dobermans. The Dobermans leapt over Hala's decapitated carcass and slammed into Lofen from opposite directions. All three boards tumbled into the tall prairie grass lining the hoveway, broke and squared off, snapping savage teeth. The bioskin on Lofen's chest was shredded and ripped, her metallic chassis beneath now glinting blood orange in the sun. The patrolman kept his pistol trained on the humans as he angrily depressed the activator on his malfunctioning combud. Tara and Hugo remained crouched, waiting patiently. 
The Batborgs, while stronger by a factor of five than the organic template upon which their design was based, were still slower and weaker than their dog's unit adversary. However, the Dobermans were programmed for assault, not fear. All scan data indicated they were facing a seven-year-old, 39-kilogram female Rottweiler. With this data verified and processed, they charged a second time. The lead Doberman flashed its black carbide teeth as it targeted the same foreleg where Lofen's bioskin had been ripped clean to the titanolume. The other attacked from the flank. Seven-tenths of a second before the first Batborg would have made contact, Lofen sprang lightly into the air, attaining a momentary hovering altitude of 1.3 meters. While airborne, her onboard computer processed incoming telemetry from Joan, adjusted for wind velocity and the additional weight of the German Shepherd's blood soaking into her fur. The Riot-class Batborg skeletal chassis were composed of a commonly refined AirMet 100 plastic alloy used in civilian law enforcement applications. While capable of stopping small-caliber bullets, the alloy was no match for Lofen's titanolume incisors, which ripped into the lead Borg's armored CPU housing located behind the shoulder blade assembly. The force of Lofen's surgical attack crushed the AirMet spinal column, slicing through the protective Kevlar jacket surrounding the heat sink. The first Batborg flailed, systems crashing while the flanking Doberman locked its jaws on Lofen's hind leg, ripping free huge swaths of her flesh before finding a lock. Lofen's front paws dug into the dirt, and she howled in pain, ignoring the second animal as she sought the first. She again drove her muzzle into the Doberman's back, gnashing three, four, five more times until the CPU housing was torn free of the creature's motherboard. Lofen spat the CPU into the grass, and the Riot-class Batborg collapsed in robotic spasms. The second Doberman remained locked on her hind leg, caustically driving its teeth against metal bone. Lofen braced and spun her body like a boomerang, capturing the Riot unit by its own leg. She ripped the animal free, maintaining her grip on its extremity, and whipped her neck, using momentum to hurl the lighter Doberman into the trooper's Dodge Charger. The door panel crushed inward, and several windows shattered from the impact. Lofen wasted no time. She streaked to her assailant before it could recover, hammering her jaws into the Doberman's neck, similarly crushing its CPU and rendering the second Borg inert. Lofen turned instinctively to face the patrolman. Her armored eye shields closed over her vidorbs as the first hollowpoint 357 round shredded the bioskin from her muzzle, exposing metal skull. Anticipation of the assault, following the retirement of the second Batborg, had allowed Lofen to prepare herself to absorb the kinetic energy of the bullets. The last three deftly aimed rounds glanced off her cranial shield, completely obliterating her velvety left ear. When the bullets stopped flying, Lofen raised her head, fuchsia vidorbs glaring. She stared at Trooper Apollo and bore her silver teeth, yet slavering with hollow the German Shepherd's blood. Trooper Apollo stood firm. He growled like an animal himself. Lofen began walking methodically towards him. The patrolman backed away and fired his Kevlar-piercing botulinum darts, one, two, three, four, five, and six, into her face at point-blank range. The glass cartridges popped like miniature champagne corks, drenching her mutilated bioskin muzzle with 36 cc's of neuroparalytic. The patrolman looked like his mind might melt. The scene before him was some awful dreamscape risen up in a world where he normally controlled all. He had been tapping the emergency beacon on his comm bud frantically from the moment he watched Lofen decapitate Hala. The Kansas Highway Patrol comm stream kept relaying the same automated message to his tympanic membrane. We're sorry. The Kansas Emergency Management System is not functioning at this time. Apollo winced, again pressing the emergency transponder on his holotab to remote float his Kansas Highway Patrol Dodge Charger. He could hear the web fan spin up momentarily. Then the hubcar would die and crash back to Earth. Arrgh! The patrolman screamed in fury, throwing his gun, then his billy club at the steadily approaching cyborg. Still crouched beside the Ford, Tara looked at Hugo. That's my cue. She smiled and stood for the first time since the dogfight began. She put her sunglasses in her dress pocket and stepped forward, eyes falling to the flaxen fur of the dead German shepherd as she moved on her mark. The trooper did something unusual. He ran. He covered the five meters to the pilot's side door in moments. Before his hand had reached the manual access, Lofen blazed around the rear corner of his hovecar. 
The patrolman could not control himself. Like a trapped animal now, he screamed, the sound inoculated by the rush of hub traffic on the interstate below. The small, cybernetic Rottweiler swung her bloodied titanium head like a wrecking ball as she walked down the side of the car, impacting the shiny blue door into the Dodge's frame and rendering it useless. The patrolman wailed like a dying hare. True fear consumed him. Wofen bore her incisors, teeth gleaming silver and yellow-red in the last rays of the failing sun. The patrolman backed up. He trained Borgs. He knew there was an awful sound coming from the animal that he could not hear over the traffic. He was grateful for that. He stumbled back farther towards the docked Ford, towards the shoulder. He had no gun, no baton, no holotab. A dead hovcar and a malfunctioning combud implanted in his jaw. He turned to run as the small Rottweiler raked her claws over the pavement and howled. It was a high-pitched, wolf-like howl, loud enough to be audible over the humming interstate. It caused goosebumps to rise on his flesh. Upon turning, the patrolman found the young woman from the hub truck standing before him. Her eyes stopped him like a brick wall. She was incomprehensibly beautiful. The wind blew her yellow sundress against her curves. The mossy green tone of her eyes called to every cell in his body. He wanted to look away, but the world grew sweet, then fuzzy. All things fuzzy, except for a girl's green eyes gone black as the basement of an ocean. I'm drugged he thought. I'm dreaming. Bogs. I knew it. Bogs. Tar reached up and put both of her hands on the patrolman's face as he fell backwards against the grill of his hovecar. Ew. What is? asked Hugo behind her. Lofen had relaxed and limped to his side as soon as Tara took over. Hugo began to examine her injuries. Nothing. Just another sweating pig, said Tara. Men are disgusting. That's well, chica, but we been in one place too long. Do your hoodoo voodoo in Danelitz float. Boss William gonna be pieced as a mother when he sees these pop. Tara held Trooper Apollo's thick, muscular head like she was holding a helium balloon. The man's body swayed but remained vertical. Yeah, well, it was Dax and him who wanted to sign up unconscious Copernicus over there to do a float along with us, so William can lick me if he's pissed about his scratched up mutt, said Tara gesturing with her head at Virgil lying by the Ford's bumper. She turned back to the trooper, who was now grinning like a sated baby, staring at her as if they were on their honeymoon. The man's nostrils flared as he drank in her smell. All right, Officer Apollo, she said, lifting up the flap on the man's holly pump shirt pocket to read his name tag. Marcus, said Hugo behind her. What? His name is Marcus Apollo. John say no good. Oh. Right. She turned back and looked straight into the man's eyes. How do you feel, Marcus? You've been a very, very bad policeman today. I'm sorry, he said dreamily. You're beautiful. I am hot, it's true, said Tara. She watched a conflict tear run down the man's cheek as she held him. This one's had some psych training, probably white ops, she said quizzically. Trooper Marcus Apollo... Is that your name? Yes. He cooed back. Tara smiled, running her eyes quickly up and down. Well, aren't you just a big old hunk of African love meat? Take all the badges and knives and guns and tasers, polyhemp dork pants and shiny boots and other shit off, and you're probably a really nice looking man, aren't you? Yes, Miss Rose, he said sublimely. Tara raised her eyebrows. Still remember my name, huh? So guess what it's time to do now? What? It's time to forget, Marcus. Forgive what? He drooled, eyes flitting white. Tara pressed her hands harder against the sides of his head. It's time to forget everything. Where did you eat lunch today, trooper? In my hovka. That's the last thing you remember, isn't it? She kept one hand on the man's face and took his free hand with her other, leading him to the shoulder on the far side of his patrol hovecar, away from the interstate. She sat him down and leaned his body against the vehicle's extended docking mount beside the destroyed carcass of his second riot dog, which was compacted into the side of the charger with a gaping chunk ripped from its neck. Yes, he kept saying. Yes. Tara brought her other hand up to his head and looked into his eyes. 
You don't know us. You just ate lunch. You woke up here on the side of the off-ramp. All right. She nodded like she was talking to a baby. Are you ready to go to sleep then? I'm so tired, said the patrolman, his heavy head lollygagging. Okay, good. One last thing, Marcus Apollo. I want you to remember this for the rest of your days. Patrolman Apollo replied, Was that? With drifting, sleepy lids. Dobermans are little pussy dogs, said Tara with an evil grin. She let go of his face and stood, wiping the man's sweat on her sundress, turned to Hugo and fake curtsied. Ready, Speedy? About time, Chica, he said. You gonna sing him a song, too? We gotta drop these booze and fly before Ombre wakes up. Oh, no shit, is that what we're out here for? She said petulantly as she pranced past and climbed onto the Ford's running board. Hugo knelt over Virgil's yet unconscious body, dragged the boy to a sitting position, and hefted him over his shoulder like he was a 25-kilogram bag of pumpkin seed. Tara watched. Lofen, already in the hub truck cab, popped her bloody, earless head through the open door. The cyborg's gleaming red vid orbs followed Hugo's path as he carried the boy and dumped him onto the front seat. Tara sighed and dragged Virgil to a seated position, then crawled over him and shut the door. She pulled his heavy backpack full of poetry books out of the way with an oomph and dumped it onto his urine-stained lap. Lofen returned to her original spot on the floor, licking her shredded leg. Tara reached down and scratched the exposed metal between her eyes with a red fingernail. You're a good girl, Ophi. She then grabbed her holotab and stylus from the hub truck's door pocket and resumed sketching a nude figure study with simulated charcoal pencil. She whistled a tune as the Ford's heavy lev fans whined to float velocity beneath them and Hugo jumped into the cab on the pilot's side. Hugo pulled a joint from his cigarette case and lit it up, taking a long, grateful drag. Computer, full manual. Pilot biometrics confirmed. Please observe posted speed limits and enjoy your float, said the dashboard. The Ford 800 pulled away from the now dark and silent Kansas Hubway Patrol hovcar. In front of the Dodge Charger lay the decapitated body of the German Shepherd in a pool of blood. The flies had already begun to gather, buzzing over the fresh rot. A few meters off lay the yet-twitching form of the first riot-class Doberman, its chassis ripped open, wiring and shreds of Kevlar littered about like confetti. As the Ford's prop fans fired, and the big flatbed hub truck floated down the I-70 on-ramp into the last fragments of western sunlight, Officer Marcus Apollo dreamed of Tara Deem's pouting lips kissing his skin. Tears rolled slowly down his snuff-colored cheeks as the dream faded and he fell deeper into blackness, his boots dangling off the edge of the hubway surrounded by billowing tall grass. At that moment, somewhere in the distant hills, a fish crow cried out, splitting the air. But Trooper Marcus Apollo didn't remember that part either. Wikipedia.hollow excerpt, last updated July 14, 2062, regarding the North American hemp industry and environmental sustainability, a social philosophy. First reported water suicides by farmers began as far back as 2015 in Dapagon, India. By 2027, over 160 million Indians had died from chronic dehydration, the earliest known example of ecologically induced mass genocide. This early 21st century decimation of groundwater supplies across the Indian subcontinent was accelerated by the ongoing cultivation of traditional water-intensive crops, such as sugarcane, rice, and wheat. In the subsequent decades, as worldwide groundwater supplies were further depleted, similar pandemics followed in Peru, Morocco, China, and other nations which failed to decriminalize industrial hemp. By contrast, in the North American United States, the rehabilitatory effects of hemp-centric agricultural adaptation can literally be measured. In 2024, when the federal government of the antique United States reclassified marijuana as an herbal supplement and agricultural textile, the Ogala Aquifer beneath the Midwestern states of Kansas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska was 97% depleted. Nebraska was the first breadbasket state to convert to hemp-centric agriculture the following year in 2025, eventually winning the state its current moniker of North America's Hemp Basket. Kansas followed suit in 2027. 
In these two states, hemp production soon claimed 95% of agricultural land use totals, replacing corn, wheat, cattle, cotton, soybeans, and sorghum almost entirely by 2031. The resulting positive effect on groundwater levels in the northern sections of the Ogawa Aquifer is credited with saving the primary food production centers of the antique United States in the early years of the Progressive Revolution. By 2035, northern sections of the aquifer were 67% replenished. Conversely, in Oklahoma, where hemp was prohibited by state law until 2037, the Ogawa and Garber-Wellington aquifers were entirely decimated. The subsequent collapse of surface irrigation systems gave way to the Oklahoma Dust Bowls of 2032 and 2034, in which an estimated 40,000 North Americans lost their lives. At the time of this article's publication, the Garber-Wellington Aquifer beneath Oklahoma City stands at 89% capacity. The greening of Oklahoma, as it is called, that began in the 40s and has led to the current environmental rehabilitation of the state's natural resources occurred due to ubiquitous hemp introduction. A reversion of anthropogenic ecological damage has been seen globally in foreign nations that have similarly industrialized the water-conserving hemp plant. This concludes Chapter 2.6 of The Eighteenth Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream. Please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com to sign up for The Eighteenth Shadow mailing list. On johnleegraftonbooks.com, you can also download the free digital box set, containing the first three books in the six-part series. The free box set is available in Kindle format, as well as Smashwords, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Remember, citizens, Kindle isn't just a thing. It's a free app you can put on your phone to start reading the 18th Shadow box set today. Prefer paperback like it's 1981? Visit Prospero's Books at 1800 West 39th Street in Kansas City, Missouri, where every phase of the 18th Shadow is available built of glue, ink, and compressed dead trees, the way books were meant to be read by real North Americans. Until next time, this is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton, reminding you to spay and neuter your pets. And remember, if it's not cannabis, kids, don't smoke it. This has been a public service announcement of the 18th Shadow Radio. For more information, please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com. <laughs>